In preparing for this message, I was choosing a topic or theme, choosing to follow Christ. Because this is what the Thessalonians did. They heard the message of God and they chose to follow. But this theme went in a different direction. So bear with me as I present or as we partake in this sermon. Paul starts this letter to the Thessalonians with a greeting. He writes to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. He encapsulates two words in the greetings. Shabbos, the Greek for grace, and Shalom, the Hebrew for peace. As a clear indication of Paul's theology. Two things that we need and the two things that can only be found in God. And that is grace and peace. Paul continues this, this letter as we can see how dear this young church was to him, both physically and spiritually. He says, we pray for you. He tells them, but not just that he prays for them, but he's always praying for them. This message is taken from 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1 to 6, but the concentration here is from verse 4 to 6. So let us do like the strangers in the field and stick our tent and glean from the field of the Lord. And the text reads, For we know, brothers, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because of our gospel. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. You know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord, for you received the work in much affliction with joy and the Holy Spirit. There are three words at the beginning of this verse, verse 4, that should stop and give us pause. It is, we know. It says, for we know. The question is, what is it that Paul knows? He says, he knows that these Christians were loved by God. He says, these Christians were chosen by God. He knows that God loves them. And he knows that God chose them. 
this knowledge of God loving them and choosing them is based on the lived experience, the lived evidence that is seen by Paul and his fellow workers. We see this in Acts chapter 7. Paul reasoned with the people in the synagogue from the scriptures. And many believed. In our text of 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 to 5, we start to see what Paul will be looking at as evidence that these people in the synagogue received the gospel. And in receiving the gospel, the outworkings of this young church can be seen as evidence so Paul can make the claim that God has chosen them and that God has had loved them. But there's something else here. When we look at the Thessalonians church, and it is that they heard the gospel. Well, when we read that text, you'll find that the gospel was preached to many people in that church. And that gospel, some believe and some do not. But the ones who believe was chosen by God. Then we have to ask ourselves, what is the gospel? Today, there are many who would say the gospel could be anything. And that, in some forms, can be true. Because the gospel, in its literal sense, is good news. So, we can always have good news. But I do believe we should narrow this question down and define it to what is the gospel of God? What is the scripture telling us about the gospel, the gospel of God? Well, we go to Acts chapter 17. And Paul tells us that he explained and proved that it is necessary for the Christ to suffer and to raise and to rise from the dead. And this Jesus is the Savior. This is the gospel. That this Jesus is the gospel. Let's not just take Paul's word for it because we may be biased in Paul because he was the one who was supposed to bring the message to the Gentiles. So let's listen to Peter. And Peter, chapter one, verse, first Peter, chapter one, verse one to, to verse one to three. Blessed be the name of our God and Father and of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This is the gospel. The gospel is our Lord Jesus Christ. Well, we have Peter and we have Paul. And I'm staying in the peace, so we're going to do Philip. Philip the evangelist, at the time of the persecution, there was a scattering of the believers. 
and it says, Philip went down to, and this is Acts chapter 8, verse 5. It says, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them Christ. Again, this is the gospel. He is the gospel. The gospel of, the gospel of God is about Jesus, the Christ, and him alone. The God whose loving kindness gave to the world this Jesus to save all mankind from sin. And these are clear facts. We could ask the question, why do we need a savior? And I can say that. I'm not really a bad person. Why do I need a savior? But when appealing to scripture, Romans chapter 3, verse 23 in specific, it states, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's everyone. No exception. No exceptions. So we know clearly that everyone needs Jesus. Because we all start at the same line when it comes to sin. There's no one greater than the other in this sin world. This message that Paul gave at the synagogue in, in Thessalonica was not one that he imagined. It was a message directly from God. As noted in Acts chapter 17, where he reasoned with them from the scriptures, we can clearly see that this is a message from God. Because when he was as we term it, he was knocked off the donkey and he was told that it was his job now to take the message, the good news, to the Gentiles. This is a direct message from God. I would say now in a time that we live, there's great benefit. You know, some people say we should go back to this year or that year in the past. But I say in these times that we live, there's so much benefit. Because we are able to read the Old Testament and see the through line from the Old Testament to the New Testament. Where we would find a Messiah that was promised to all nations. Peter looks back, telling us about this Messiah. He speaks of the prophets who prophesied about the sufferings of Christ. And how these prophets search the scriptures carefully, trying to find out when the Messiah would come. And you can find that in 1 Peter, chapter 1. But that answer 
for them could not be found. Because these prophets were not, this message were not for them. They were writing for us. So our vantage point, looking at the prophetic landscape, we can see there are a number of things, or we can conclude, like the people in the synagogue at Thessalonica, who heard and believed just by searching the scripture, just by Paul opening up scriptures and teaching from the scriptures. So let us start with Daniel. Daniel chapter 7. Verse 13 to 14, Daniel writes, I saw in a night vision, and behold, with a cloud of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and kingdom and a kingdom that all people, nations, and language would serve him. His dominion is everlasting. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and a kingdom shall not be destroyed. Compared to Matthew 28, 18, 18 to 20, Matthew chapter 28, 18 to 20. These words, these are the words of Jesus. All authority has been given to me on earth and has been given to me, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. This is the start of the early church. But then we look at the manifestation now, at the vantage point that we're at, we can see just in this room alone, the different nations and languages and peoples. And this is where Christianity is today. We have different nations, different languages, different peoples. These are prophecies that are already fulfilled in the finished work of Christ. Well, we, we can't stop there. God is speaking to the prophet, or he's speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And this is Isaiah 9, 6 to 7. Chapter 9, verse 6 to 7. And it reads, For to us a child is born, a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the increase of his government, and of peace there will be no end on the throne of David and over his kingdom, to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness for this time forth and forevermore. And here's a stamp. 
and the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This is God stamping his own words. And the zeal of the Lord will, of the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This promise was already kept. The prophet Micah tells us about a God, tells us about one who God promised will come from the tribe of Judah. His coming is from old, from, from the ancient of days. Again, clearly we can see the prophet right into the future, not knowing what the future is. But we know they believed what God said. This Messiah, Jesus, presented by the prophets, I believe is the Son of God, full stop. This is what I believe. I believe that this Jesus is the Son of God. This Messiah, this Jesus presented by the prophets and the great men of old, seen through the lens of the early church, unlike that of Judaism, where the Messiah would come and be a strong leader, a mighty in power like David the king. But this Messiah, seen through a Christian lens, the lens that we are supposed to be looking through, is much more than a king like David, or in fact, a king like anyone. For he holds power beyond measure. And more so, he holds the power to forgive sin. No other leader, no other king holds or would ever hold that power. The power to forgive sin. This power to forgive sin is troubling to many because of how one sees oneself. And compounding the idea is how we compare ourselves to each other. Well, I don't swear, but I drink a lot, so I'm not like you. So we do those comparisons so that we look good to other people. But a basic reading of Deuteronomy, Deuteronomy 18, 15 to, 4, to 22, God made a promise to raise up a prophet. And the first directive he gave is that we should listen to him. And this is just a basic reading. We should listen to him. 
And this is a reference to Christ. And it reads specifically, it is to him you should listen. This is not where we hear and reply, oh, I hear you. This listening involves action on our part. These, the words of Jesus in John 14, John chapter 14, 21, whoever hear, whoever has my commandments and keep them, he is who loves me. See, if God is speaking to us and telling us that he's raising up one and we should hear him, and we believe God, then we should obey God and listen to Jesus. Jesus tells us, whoever hears me and keep my commandments is the one who loves me. Then we should obey God through Jesus. So we really don't have an excuse for not listening actively. So when we read Paul's warning in Corinthians and we see this pop up in our minds and it says, or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexual immoral or the idolater nor the adulterer nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. And mind you, these are just a few examples of what it means to keep the commandments of God. But, in reading this, what we find is that today we look at adultery as sort of, well, uh, it's okay. We give a big hooray to the, the person who's greedy because we say that that's capitalism. The adulterer, we don't, not the adulterer, the idolater. You don't hear much about people and idolatry because this is not a subject that is out in the forefront of Christian speak. But it is anything, anything that would hinder us from the kingdom of God. So rather than comparing one to another, we should look individually to see if we are doing anything, as Paul would say, that would separate us from the love of God. We have, at some point in time, we have to meet, face and meet God. And we have to give an account of 
how we live in this body. And I would hear to think that I would be under the tribulation or the trials of God because, or the condemnation of God because of something I deem in this world as being simple. So we have to take a serious look at ourselves because it matters to us eternally. This underscores the authority and power of the very Messiah in whom we believe that this Jesus has the power to forgive sin. This is why when we look at Jesus and we hear the scripture and we believe in him, there is a change in our lives. As pastor would preach, and you've heard him more than once, he will say this, we are not sinless, we just sin less. So, this is why we need a savior. But then you look and see where this authority comes in terms of Jesus with his kingship and being able to forgive sin. And he says to us, and this is John 14, John 12, sorry, John chapter 12, 14 to 50, sorry, 49 to 50. For I have not spoken on my own authority but the Father who sent me, he has given, has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that this command, command, commandment is eternal life. What I say therefore, I say as the Father has told me. See, our obedience to Christ is eternal. This Jesus, this Messiah, and his claims he made of himself can be verified by the Old Testament writers and confirmed by the testimonies of the New Testament writings. We just have to search the scriptures. Paul, looking at this young church at Thessalonica, we can see that Christ was presented to them in what Paul termed as our gospel. This adoption of Pope that Paul took to say our gospel, I do believe it is something that we all should take and adopt to say our gospel. It means our Christ. When we present this gospel, we're presenting the Christ, the very Christ that we believe in. He's ours. So when we go out 
as we would go on Saturday. And we hand out tracts. We are presenting our gospel, our Christ. And that's what we would be doing. We have embraced it. Or we say, or I should say, we have embraced him. Knowing that he is the only way to salvation and to God. So Paul can say our gospel. Knowing that this is something that he has embraced for all his life. But we don't understand what Paul means when he says this. He is not taking ownership from God because we know that this is the gospel of God, that Christ is the gospel of God. But as he took it, he believed in it to the point where he, he, he took and it belonged to him. It was his gospel now. And that was the gospel of all who followed him. You know, I've read this verse um, out of Thessalonians 1 to 5. And I read it, read it, I read it about four times. And I just couldn't get past it until I look at um, other translations. Let me read this gospel for you, the passage for you. And I was using the SV at the time. It says here, because our gospel came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction, you know what kind of men you proved to you. We proved to be among you for your sake. And this is the ESV. And if you look at the ESV, you'll see that there's a, a, a period after conviction. But I couldn't wrap my mind around how does all this add up to or connect to you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. What is it about Paul's life or the way how Paul lived among the Thessalonians that he connects power, Holy Spirit, and the conviction to his life. So I searched a little more and I did um, look at some other um, books of the Bible and I looked then at some other translations. In every other translation I saw, uh, they had a conjunction after conviction. It says, just as you know what kind of men we prove to be among you. You see, I got it. Paul's life, the way he lived, was tied to the way he preached, was not divorced. His life, the 
spiritual life was not divorced from his preaching life. It was all one and the same. So Paul lived, Paul's life is directly married to conviction, the power, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, and to the gospel that he preached. This is something that we need to take stock to with our own lives. That if we are to be effective in ministry, as a matter of fact, in anything that we do for God, we cannot divorce our lives from our work. They should be all one and the same. See, we look at today and we can say that there are many out there who preach or speak and their churches are packed and we say that they have conviction we say that they speak in power but when you examine the life we know that a true biblical servant of God will line up with passages from Titus, Titus chapter 1, verse 6 to 9, so that the Holy Spirit will be included in that life. But if we, if our lives doesn't add up to our walk or work with Christ, then we have everything else but the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God. Because we know that the Scripture teaches that many have came to Christ and said, haven't we preached in your name? Haven't we cast out demons in your name? And Christ says, yes. Depart from me, I never knew you. See, that is speaking or preaching or working without the Holy Spirit. It can be done. But, biblical preaching or biblical servants of God, their lives would always be in line with their work. Paul's manner of life became a pattern of discipleship for this church, this early church. I spoke about this church being the blueprint for all believers from the pew to the pulpit because we saw or we can see Paul's life or, and also the fellow workers that were with him living among the Thessalonians. But not just the Thessalonians, everywhere he went. And we can see the outworkings of God in the people who received 
receive Christ as their savior. And in this church, this church, the scripture tells us that the Thessalonians became imitators of Paul and those who were with him, but not only imitators of Paul, also imitators of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we cannot divorce or work from our lives. So I would leave you with this. As believers, we need to search the scriptures to increase our knowledge of God and his son. God has left us with his word. His word he has left us with. So we are not in the dark. And that is first. We need to increase our knowledge of God and what is expected from us and follow his expectations and we need to walk in the sphere of God knowing that he is the one who holds our feet. Our lives, or rather should I say, our lived lives and our speech is the only way our gospel will go forth in power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction if they are in line with our Father and our Savior, Lord Jesus Christ. I want to thank you, church, for giving me the opportunity. I thank you for your prayers. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you, dear Lord, for this opportunity to speak. I thank you, dear Lord, that you have given me your word, your words to say. I ask, dear Lord, that you bless these words to our hearts and that you be with us now. In Jesus' name, amen.